Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Mist Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. The title of today's show is DR Yes. And that's suggested on Twitter by Richard Molden. Runner-up was Michael Alban had Lewis asking, is there even a point for 10th? Welcome to the Saudi Arabian Race Review, a weekend that started off on a very unsure footing and ended in a resumption of the Leclerc, Verstappen battle. And yet again, we're forced to reassess the Formula One landscape. We need to refuse the blue pill of the pre-season predictions and swallow the red pill of 2022 reality. Ferrari-powered cars look great. The Mercedes-engine cars are struggling and teammate battles need to be reassessed. It's all good fun, isn't it? Let's get to our race review. We're going to discuss another great battle with two young stars in Formula One. We'll analyse the 4D chess that is the DRS battle. We'll take a close look at the pink on pink that was Ocon versus Alonso and we'll have a lengthy and detailed debrief and grief session about why Perez would definitely have won this race. Fine, but we will look at Checo's performance this weekend. It is of note. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Still counting broken cars. And a journo and PR guru, Chris Stevens. Hey, Spanners was really nervous about doing the Jedi race review after what happened last season, but you know what? It worked out great. And commentator and broadcasting up-and-coming star, Jonathan Simon. Great to be here. Uh, of course, you can see with the black behind me, I'm, I'm held hostage. Uh, my safe word is Aramco. Let's get on to where the race was won and lost.
Well, Matt, this was a, a definitely a strategic race. We saw in the last Grand Prix at Bahrain, the regulations can deliver multi-stop races. Uh, the tyres aren't going to last forever in normal circumstances. But once again, we see that in a street circuit where overtaking can be restricted, perhaps where it's a little bit harder to follow and a little bit harder to overtake because that killer lunge you might do at Paul Ricard will end up putting you in a wall. You know, perhaps teams were more able to defend and string out for a one-stop strategy. Nevertheless, an intriguing race with a a kind of a very satisfying conclusion. Yeah, well, it was a great race. There was lots of action from the moment we started. And um, it wasn't all just at the front of the field. We had plenty, we've got plenty of midfield to discuss today too. But if we're talking about where the race was really won and lost, I think we're going to have to start with the strategic intervention of the safety car. Okay. And in particular, the effect it had on your favorite driver, Jaco Perez. Yeah, okay. I was hoping we were going to get a little bit of a, a reprieve from the safety car and go straight into the big battle. So I tell you what, let's hold off a little bit because, yes, I'm sure everybody in the Mist Apex universe felt me, kind of <laughs> felt my heart sink as that safety car came out and I could tell straight away it was going to go against Sergio Perez, of course. But I think the big ticket item, Chris, really has to be the racing between these these two young guys at the front of the Formula One 2020 to calendar right now, Verstappen and Leclerc. Absolutely. I mean, they have got such a history, these two going all the way back to their karting days. They have been rivals from a very young age, and now they are battling it out for the most honorable prize in motorsport, the Formula One World Championship. And we got just a teaser of it in Bahrain. We had, you know, seconds out round two in uh, in Jeddah and long may it continue because it has been so thrilling to watch. Uh, uh, Jono, just an interesting comparison between Verstappen 2021 and Verstappen 2022. What do we think's changed? Well, he's not fighting for his first world championship anymore. So the pressure's off. The weight is off his shoulders. So I'm not sure if that's the reason why he's racing Leclerc differently to the way he raced Lewis Hamilton. It seemed like he was so much more aggressive last year. Uh, but at the end of the day, the racing's been good both ways, in my opinion. Yes, controversial last year, but I thought the racing was still good today. I, d- I don't know, Chris. And I don't want to get off into a rant. I don't want to get dragged back into 2021. But obviously last year, we had Silverstone attributed to, to Lewis Hamilton. It's his fault. But we also had Imola, Brazil, Kota, Qatar, Abu Dhabi. We had uh, you know so many races where Verstappen would just push opponents all the way to the edge of the track and it wasn't just Hamilton he was doing that for seasons all the way going back this year in two battles so far we haven't seen that trademark Verstappen just going to the edge and pushing drivers off track what's changed I think we've tidied up the regulations a little bit about you know the conduct on track between drivers when you're battling wheel to wheel and partly I think we have to look at the new regulations as well because the following and the passing is so much easier now. You know, I think we got an inkling of it in Bahrain, but on a proper high-speed circuit like Jeddah, we really got to see 
these cars in their element, not just with the additional ground effect downforce, but the ability to follow through those quicker corners, especially in the first sector, it's just made things a little bit easier for everyone. They haven't had to resort to these more desperate tactics, perhaps. Easier. Uh, Leclerc said that the last laps were like doing multiple quality laps in a row. If anything, it's made it harder because cars are having a harder time getting away. Well, okay. Well, Okay, so it's it's harder to keep a position for sure. But he was also on pretty knackered old tires at that point as well. You can see him really struggling with the rear in particular. So that's probably a contributing factor. So obviously Perez heartbreak aside, which I'll, I'm going to build up to talking about. Uh, the race was kind of won and lost in in what was a fairly even battle between two cars with slightly different strategies slightly different setups Matt I think one of the key differences here was Red Bull seemed to have the advantage on the straight perhaps Ferrari through the corners but they seemed evenly matched perhaps Red Bull the slight edge but to see two cars like this two slightly different approaches to set up the DRS balance and the way they could follow I mean the rest we were optimistic after Bahrain the recipe still seems good yeah, I think the the call from all parties right now is that the uh, regulations have achieved their intended aims. We have cars that follow closely. We have cars that can battle on tires for multiple laps in a row. We saw constant passing back and forth of position between evenly paced cars. But if you have the advantage, if you have the Delta, if we're going to be fancy, you can pass that car and you can continue moving forward up the field. And this is what we've been waiting for thank goodness matt we have got rid of this thing where they they have like one or two laps within that within that drs zone before the tires give out that seems to be gone that seems to be dead you can stay behind a car for multiple laps you can overtake and the car that gets overtaken can overtake back so that's one fundamental aim that seems to have been achieved yeah it it is and i to get back to your point about the car setups which i think is is very um is very astute. The Ferrari all weekend long had been making almost all of its time in the twisty first sector, and Red Bull had been quicker through the second and third sectors. And we saw this play out over and over again as Verstappen was chasing down Leclerc, and then as they were trading that position back and forth through the final laps of the race. I mean, the racing's been awesome, right? Like, regardless, and and Trumpets talking about sectors and all this stuff where different cars have different characteristics, but throughout the field, people were able to follow, people were able to overtake. And Esteban Ocon, he, he summed it up perfectly after the race. He was talking to Sky F1 and he said, it feels like go-karting again. It feels like you can ride wheel to wheel, swap positions, swap corners, do all this kind of stuff. You know, it's not like the old style F1 pre-Pirelli where it took a 30 lap game of chess and yeah, it was exciting once somebody finally pulled off the overtake. But these days you're getting lap after lap, overtake after overtake. It's so relieving as well, isn't it? To have had the biggest overhaul in regulations the sport has ever seen. And to still have two teams that are so evenly matched with two entirely different concepts and two different approaches. And, you know, when Mercedes inevitably sort out their problems, we'll have a three-team battle up at the front of the field. And I think that's just a mouth-watering prospect. 
So slightly unplanned topic here, but in our patron live chat, hello, patron live chat, and specifically Jack Savo here says, maybe it puts even less importance on qualifying with teams setting up more for the race. And I think th- this is a trend that we've seen more and more. The first time we really saw it, I think it was 2015, when Lewis Hamilton clearly seemed to be setting up for the race and Nico Rosberg was was setting up for... He won the qualifying trophy that year, but Hamilton just seemed to have him race after race. And, and we have seen teams employ this. Perhaps Mercedes did employ this quite a lot last season as well. And I, I said to you, I think I said to you guys yesterday, qualifying has never been less important. I'm not saying it's not important. John, I'm just saying qualifying has never been less important than it is right now. Well, the perfect example is Fernando Alonso, right? He's never been... He's been a good qualifier throughout his career. He's done well, but I've always valued him as a better racer. And he's somebody who's, over the course of his career, set up his car for the race. Perfect example, qualifies behind Ocon. And I'm thinking, oh, God, El Plan, whatever they call it. Oh, is this going to go well? And then during <laughs> the race, he just had him on race pace. And that's another good example of, yeah, set up the car for race pace because you can overtake now. There's uh, another good example as well between the two Ferraris. Carlos Sainz has been, you know, pretty close to Leclerc in these first two races in qualifying, but Leclerc just has the edge in the races where he seems to pull away more and more. Uh, well, it's interesting you would bring that up. Uh, Sainz was a font of information. Um, after qualifying, he made the very interesting comment that he actually had better feel from the scrubbed soft tire. Then from the brand new tire, the brand new tire, he said, had a digital feel to it and he had a hard time managing it. But it was also clear that if you could manage it, you had some time advantage. So I was listening to the uh, BBC coverage and Chris, there was, there was a Formula E driver doing the commentary instead of Jolian Palmer. Do you know oh, who that was? Sam Bird. Oh, was that Sam Bird? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't recognize him from his voice at all. And he was talking about how in Formula E it is actually a disadvantage on the new tyres and they de- deliberately go out and they, they scrub them in the practices. So I was wondering, Matt, will we see, because we're used to seeing on the graphics, oh, new tyres, goody. Whereas it now, maybe in qualifying, that's not quite the same advantage. Well, we saw Aston do that very thing um, in FP3. They went out and ran uh, an installation lap on every set of tyres so that they would have that apparently both of their drivers prefer that feeling well when was the last time we had tire graining like properly i remember 2005 right it was ages ago where the drivers would have to like go out on a stint and it would take like 15 20 laps like is that returning to f1 now um to to finally get the best out of the tires it takes you like half a stint i don't know but certainly if you look at uh, bahrain and you look at lewis hamilton coming out on those hards that was the first indication we had that actually these the brand new tire might not be might not be the way to go. In fairness, I think that has more to do with the fact that that was a, a the hardest tire available, and the fact that the blankets can't be as you know, heated mm, as sure. much as uh, they can uh, last year, and you know they're moving towards banning them completely, which I am all all for. Twenty twenty four, right now. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, go on, Matt. Okay, so the thing also that Sainz said that was interesting to me, and I think this might apply to a lot of drivers, which is why I bring it up after the race, was that he's, they, they asked him, like, you know, you're, you're behind your teammate. Normally, you weren't as far behind. And he said, oh, I feel like I've made progress. And he says, and I can pin it down to two turns on this track. 
And those two turns, I don't have the same feeling with the car that I had last season. So we need to get the car there and I need to adapt my driving in order to be on par with Leclerc. But he still feels like it's a mission he can complete. Okay, so let's focus in on this DRS battle. And it certainly was a DRS battle. DRS feels completely different this year. And there's a, there's a slightly mixed reaction. Now, John, I know you have strong feelings about this DRS battle. On on paper, we had two cars swapping positions and, and racing. They were fighting into corners. What's your problem, man? Well, okay. If you look at the way... Leclerc and Verstappen sort of I mean it was dramatic it was entertaining it was funny to watch with your mates it was laughable but I mean it it looks comical on the sport don't you reckon Chris yeah it was just a bit silly really first of all DRS was way too powerful on this track because it wasn't like in Bahrain where they were just kind of being put in the position to pass and then they have to do it themselves it was just the classic Breeze pass, go around the outside, doesn't matter, zero defense whatsoever. But then this silly jockeying for the line, breaking, they were coming to a stop practically, Leclerc and Verstappen. It did look really, really silly. And for me, it's just it's just dangerous more than anything. And as if DRS wasn't sort of plastic enough in terms of it creates artificial racing, this is just on a whole nother level and looks ridiculous. Matt, the, these kids, these kids these days, there's no pleasing them, is there? Sorry, uh, you'll have to pardon me. My eyes have rolled entirely out of my head during that comment. So first of all, uh, as someone who used to race uh, bicycles on a oh, track, on go. a velodrome, I'm going to say right off the bat, coming to a complete stop for minutes at a time as part of a sprint race is not a problem for me at all. That's just tactics and clever ones. So, so, so tactics that. and tactics, they were deploying tactics today. And, yes. and so we have to dis- decide these two, these two party poopers are saying that they don't want tactics in F1. That's what they're saying. And second of all, like, I'm just going to straight up factually take issue with Stevens and his whole DRS. They just push a button and go right past. I saw plenty of people with DRS not make a pass into turn one. In fact, I'd say if you were much more than half a second off the back of the car you were trying to get, you weren't necessarily getting an easy pass into turn one. Does the DRS need to be tuned by circuit as they get better at these regulations? Yeah, sure. I'm sure it probably does. But would you rather have the entertainment we saw today or another Monaco where there is a single pass during the whole race? I want you to answer Maria's question here, Chris, and you as well, Jono. Maria says, isn't it a sign of racecraft to be able to exploit the DRS? It's the same for everyone, Chris. Yeah, so you could argue that it's a, like an additional tactic. But for me, they it was being taken to the extreme. You know, we have seen it in the past where maybe they back out of the throttle a, a little bit, but these two were full on trying to come to a stop, locking up, wrecking their tires, being really dangerous on track. And I, I just think it's, especially with the closing speeds we've seen at this track, and we've already said that, you know, it's loads of the places are, are, are blind. We're going to see a huge shunt because somebody's going to smack into the back of someone. This track in particular, it, it bothered me quite okay. a lot. Okay, 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 right. This track in general bothers me. Yes. For a variety agreed. of reasons that I don't necessarily want to get bogged down in tonight. So I don't want it to be, oh, because it doesn't work in 
Saudi Arabia, we shouldn't do it anywhere. I definitely don't want to go down that track. I don't particularly care whether it particularly works here or not. Uh, Matt? Yeah, well, I was just going to go with a more general point. This is the second race of these regulations. I mean, maybe we should just give it a little time before we we decide that we need to throw DRS out (laughs) with the baby in the bathwater and everything else. Maybe we should figure out how to set it up so that it works um, more in uh, consonance with the current regulation set. Okay, you need to read the Missed Apex Constitution and then come back to me uh, about whether we should jump to conclusions after various things. Okay, I want an essay on why we should definitely speculate wildly and come to conclusions. I want to get to Jono quickly because I know you're you're against this DRS and, and calling it a little bit fake, a little bit plasticky. What are the series you've commented on, commentated on, Jono? Like you've commentated on sports cars in sim and real life, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so what's your point here? I'm getting here, nervous here. Here's my point. My point is, yep. if you are in cars that are not aero-dependent, which, mm-hmm. which all single-seater cars are always going to have that aero-dependency, if you're in cars which are, by their nature and their weight, slower, because they're production cars, you're going to have it's effectively more time on track for racing to happen. You're always going to be a bit closer. Is it not fundamental with... Any single-seater series, particular, particularly the fastest, most aggressive, most technologically advanced single-seater series in the world, that on any normal track, you're going to need something, whether it's DRS, whether it's Joe Collapse, whether it's Push to Pass, whether it's um, Fan Zone, or what's the Formula E thing where you drive through a thing and get an extra boost. With top speed, single-seater cars on a normal racetrack, you're always going to need something. Is this so bad? No, no, I, I don't. I'm not entirely opposed to DRS at all. What I am is, uh, what I didn't like was just the jockey for position. That little thing that happened there between Leclerc and um, Leclerc and Verstappen. To fix that, number one is just move the detection point or something, move it back a little bit. But in terms of actually DRS and the actual racing, yeah, it's essential for sure. What Formula One doesn't have, which touring car racing and sports cars and other racing series has are large braking zones and distances. Formula One, they're so quick at being able to stop the car. And that's what makes those braking battles uh, a little bit more difficult, as Alex Albon and uh, Lance Stroll found at the end of the race. What I prefer to see as well is quality over quantity. I would find one you know, hard-fought overtake so much more exciting than 10 easy DRS passes, regardless of how many social media clips you can make out of them and how exciting it looks in, you know, little 10 second intervals. But I would, again, I'm not saying get rid of DRS. I'm just saying it was, was, no, it was too easy. Roll the tape back. Chris stated, Matt, without doubt to get rid of DRS. Definitely. That's what he said. Uh, And I would say me and millions of brand new Formula One drivers might disagree slightly about waiting a whole race for a single overtake to almost maybe happen. Fans, yeah, yeah. Johnny. So on that, I I agree with Chris, the pre-Pirelli era of F1 where, okay, you had to wait 25, 30 laps for an overtake. It was a game of chess. But when the overtake happened, everyone was like, wow, like thousands of people were off their seats. Now you get so many overtakes. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome seeing a battle for the win. But you're like, oh, an overtake. I'll wait for the next lap. I'll see another one. Oh, I'll see another one later. It's like having 23 races in a year. It makes each one less valuable. Okay. Okay. I don't want to pull the whole, oh, I was watching F1 in the 90s card too often. But it wasn't like one overtake a race. It was like one overtake 
you know, a, a, you know, in the flyaways, and then one overtaking the European leg, and then one overtaking South America. But look, uh, maybe there does need to be a balance to be struck. Maybe DRS is too powerful now, uh, but there is certainly an enjoyment factor there. And what I, what I fundamentally don't think is that it made it unfair. So you can argue about the level of DRS you should have, but it gave us fair battles. And I think it's given us two fair battles where everyone had the same access to the tactics so we can i guess obviously argue whether or not those are the appropriate tactics that we want to see in formula one but what i really want to focus on chris if you don't mind is the two drivers that that were involved in this battle because i think universally most people said leclerc had verstappen in his pocket in bahrain obviously max has come out on top this time yeah i mean for the most part i did thoroughly enjoy this battle it was just brilliant and yeah you know Leclerc really outplayed Verstappen in Bahrain and initially it looked like we were going to see a repeat of that but Verstappen switched it up this time with his little oh no I'm not going to pass you into the final corner I'm going to wait for the second DRS zone which is what he should have done in in Bahrain but this time he, he clocked it early enough to be able to do something about it I mean I think the problem for our friend uh Charles there was that there were too many laps left. And even at that, it did take a couple of laps before Verstappen really got on top of that tactic, which which made it entertaining. The other problem he had as well was the Red Bull was already quicker than the Ferrari in a straight line before DRS. Yeah, and this is where I don't want to be a party pooper at all. I would love to say, yes, it was, it's down to the individual driver's skill, and it is. We're clearly seeing two very skilled drivers going wheel to wheel, but could it be as simple as... Ferrari just had that edge in Bahrain and Red Bull on setup just had that edge here in Saudi Arabia, Matt. Uh, Yeah, it could be. I mean, it it was very clear, again, if you go back and look at the sector times, that Ferrari had chosen to go, uh, as they did in Bahrain, with more downforce and slower top line speed. And Red Bull bet the farm on being fast through sectors two and three. That clearly worked out for them today. But there is an intriguing twist to this that was one of my critical points of the race, which is that we didn't really see this battle erupt until after the virtual safety car. And I do believe that tire temperatures, and in particular Ferrari not being able to manage their tires as well under the virtual safety car, was the reason we saw the result we did today. You could hear on on the radio, you know, JP was saying to Max, you know, just make sure you look after the tires. Our wear is better than his. And you saw Leclerc visibly struggling with the rear end towards the end of that race. So I I have very little doubt that Verstappen's tyres were in better condition than Leclerc's. And that was also a big contributing factor into why suddenly he was on the back of him and able to pass him. Yeah, and it was weird because in the first stint, Ferrari knew that Perez's tyres were likely to fall off. And, And that's why they stuck to plan A with Leclerc, which I'm assuming was go longer or do something do the opposite to him so it, it's it's quite weird that ferrari ended up falling to pretty much what they knew or they fell foul to their own sort of strategy troubles that they they knew not to fall into well i i think for ferrari um the issue was they were better on the medium tire than the red bull and i think red bull were better on the hard tire or more equal and then if we take it if we take it for granted that what red bull said on the radio was accurate that, that Leclerc was burning his rears a bit more. Then with the virtual safety car, he can't get the temperature back into them as well. And as the laps go on, he, he falls afoul of the better Red Bull setup for that end of the race. 
Okay, I've got a theory. I've got a theory on tires. So you can all judge me on my theory on tires. I'm, I'm, I'm very... just excited I've gotten you talking about tire theories. Oh, I've always been very into tires, Matt. It's you talking about tires I don't like. So, <laughs> so my theory is, right, street circuits suck. That's not my theory. I'm laying that down as a just a basic fact. Street circuits are terrible. And we should stop having them. Why we're obsessed with street circuits, I can't possibly imagine. But what tends to happen at tracks like this and uh, maybe Baku to a lesser extent because of the, the really super long straight, but certainly Singapore and Monaco, is that because passing can be a little trickier, you're, you, you don't have that quite that emphasis to to push and get away from someone because you know that you can you can block when there's no tire difference and there's no tire delta you know you're just both on new mediums you're unlikely to pass an equal car on new mediums so the incentive is well i can just i can stay out of the drs zone yes max can push a little bit but he's he's not he's not going to be able to really get past in that situation so it becomes a tire saving battle it becomes a, a race to the one stop and then see who can kind of manage it better. In Bahrain, where there was not that option, where you had to push more. And in Bahrain, the, I will assert here, in, in Bahrain, the cars at the front had to push more, more consistently throughout the race. And there you saw Verstappen burning out his tyres, overheating his tyres, having to pit earlier. Here, that wasn't a problem. And, and that, to me, is a big explanation of how Verstappen was able to, to catch and to stay with and eventually pass the Ferraris. If you took the walls away from this track, I've got a feeling that it would be a slightly different story, Matt. How we go? How, how's my theory? How's my tire? How's my tire chat? I, I like your tire chat. I mean, and in effect, I think it's true. And I think it was exacerbated by the virtual safety car and the safety car periods, which we had a lot more of. Yeah. I think oh, it took so long. Did in Bahrain. And also, the nature of the circuit is almost all high and medium high speed corners which yeah you know, i will point out if you're a red bull fan might be a bit more of an outlier kind of a track than the Bahrain sort of track where you have more of a mix mm. and explains uh some of the midfield results we will probably talk about later as well well what were the two tires you mentioned trumpets so you mentioned that red bull were quicker on was it the, the hard the tire which is the hard this, the red bull were quicker or better on the hard tire which is the c2 tire yeah so remember last year and I can't remember which tires. I'm going to get it back to front. But there was Wait, one. You want tire me to remember that... last year? Am no, I no, going to no. get extra for this? No, 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 no. So, um, Mercedes were quicker on a certain. I think it was the medium. I can't remember. And then Red Bull were always quicker on this certain tire. Yep. And every time we went to a racetrack, it was the case. Every race, you know. I'm not saying you know this is not betting advice or anything like that. But we're just <laughs> saying it's something to look out for for the next ten races. Is is this going to continue? Because then heading into a round, we go, oh. This is the stronger tire, which means Ferrari might win. Okay, I tell you what, tell you what, I'm going to make my prediction then. More pit stops is bad for Verstappen this year. That's the bet I'm going to go forward on, and, and let's see if that pans out, Chris. What I particularly love is the early part of the season is just how many different types of racetrack Formula One visits. You, the first five or six circuits share very little in way of characteristics. You've got you know a high speed long straights but slow corners in Bahrain. You've got this crazy high speed street track in Jeddah. Let me go to Australia, which had a big revamp. You know, it's going to be a little bit quicker, but still probably more technical than Jeddah, for example, but a lot tighter than Bahrain. 
and uh, and Imola are a completely different circuit as well, and so on and so forth. Yeah, we're just going to be seeing so many different variations, and each of the cars that are going to you know perform differently. Plus the upgrades that they're going to be bringing as well, because this is a brand new generation of cars, and the rate of development is going to be insane. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. Well, we'll see. We'll see where that advantage in that pendulum swings. These two drivers on track today, though, in that battle, one of the most fascinating corners. I, I know, the, unfortunately, the attention has been sort of sucked into the tactics of all the DRS stuff. But when it came to being in a corner, side by side, and dueling together, positioning your car, setting yourself up, and then making the overtake, as far as I'm concerned, once we got to that point, DRS had done its job because we got to see that bit a lot. And we didn't see them just cruise past each other too much. We saw cars side by side going into corners. And that's what we want. We want to see who's bravest on the brakes, who's best with the traction they've got. And we saw a real mix. We saw Verstappen winning out. We saw Leclerc winning out. We saw both of them locking up and putting big 11s down the end of the start-finish straight. And, you know, it was fabulous, wasn't it, Matt, to just see them both kind of locking up and just see, right, it was basically, who can who can stop locking up the quickest and get it turned in? And Leclerc was able to win that battle. Yeah, um, and uh, Pietro Fittipaldi on the F1 Live uh, post-race show was talking about how these cars have really called back into play a lot of driver skill. And we're seeing it in this battle with Verstappen and Leclerc. We're seeing it in the battles that we saw with the Alpines at the beginning of the race and with the Alfa Romeos later on. And and even in the back, it's all the driver has become so much more important. The cars react slower. Um, so the snaps, the oversteers are there. And it's just everything that we've been waiting for and ha- that has been missing in what i would almost call like the computer age that we have just departed i love the fact that these cars are not absolutely planted to the ground anymore i love that they're moving around a little bit that they're a bit stiff maybe bouncing a little bit not too much though but the fact that they are yeah snaking around a little bit i just think it makes it look so much more exciting it's so much more fun to watch got one final proposal for drs okay so In this situation where you have DRS, when your nose gets alongside the car you're overtaking, and if there's no car behind you, through electronic magic, it just knows this, your DRS just gradually shuts. And you have to expect that and try not to be cranking your wheel when this happens. But if we could find some way to just lose the DRS disadvantage when you're side by side, that'd be wicked, Jono. No flaws (laughs) in that plan whatsoever. That's honestly not such a bad idea, really. I mean, look, don't you have, uh, don't you have like Stefano Domenicali's phone number or something? Surely, just give him a ring. Yeah, Ross man. Braun. I'll, I'll send him a fax. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Uh, Chris, then Matt. I would so much rather a push to pass system. Personally, I think it works well in a lot of other series, and Formula One definitely has the capabilities to make that work. I suppose that's sort of slightly less dangerous than just shutting off DRS, so yeah, possibly. and It does effectively the same thing. Matt? Uh, well, essentially what you're talking about here would be a timed amount of DRS per race, which is an idea that you have completely stolen from Summers, and me too, because it is <laughs> utterly genius. <laughs> okay, thanks for giving me the credit that I listen to Tech Time or read. My God, I'll take that compliment. Don't they use that in uh, DTM? Well, they did. Mm. before they went to GT3 cars. Yep, they did. All right. Well, I think, I, I, can't, I haven't watched, not, fair to say, but I haven't just watched nod your head, fair share of DTM. 
look, I just want to say very, very impressed with both those drivers, Leclerc and uh, Verstappen. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say that we're able to enjoy those battles because the rules are being enforced clearly behind the scenes. They have given us a briefing which is leading to fair racing. I want to put to bed once and for all one of the most irritating arguments in Formula One over the last five years, which has been, oh, just let them race. Let them race. It's just one of just the most infuriating, unsubstantiated, bizarre arguments I've heard within our F1 fan community. It doesn't make any sense. Let them race. How? By what rules should they race? And if it looks like we actually do have some rules that that the drivers can adhere to and are being enforced, look at the racing we're getting. Yeah, my last thing about it really is just the the respect that we saw between them and Charles congratulating Max after the checkered flag. You know, they're both having a good laugh about it after both races, you know, in Bahrain and here. It's it's all friendly for now. How long is that going to go on for? Well, this segment's not going to go on any longer. We're moving on. <laughs> Well, I've delayed it as long as possible, but I suppose we do have to talk about Sergio Perez. I'm a massive Sergio Perez fan. I, I I think, you know, he didn't, he got his shot. It didn't go well. He went into the midfield. He got his head down at Sauber. He got his head down at Force India and Racing Point. Did the work, showed the results, impressed enough. The people, the decision makers that, that needed a, a driver at Red Bull chose Sergio Perez a very intermittent season last season by all by all accounts but this season if you'll remember Chris in the last race review I said I don't want to talk too much about Perez because I've seen something I've seen something in that race watching the timing screens watching qualifying this season feels like it's going to be different for him and then that paid off immediately in qualifying he qualifies P1 Verstappen P4 I when that result happened Chris I don't want to alarm anyone but I sipped my tea and then comment, remarked on my pleasure at that result. That's all I did. Yeah. Now, I love how you said he didn't get his head down at McLaren. But on No, no, no. Okay, true. Fine. <laughs> it didn't go well at McLaren. I get it. Uh, I just had to twist the knife a little bit. Sorry. Um, no, you're right. Absolutely in qualifying was just, just superb. Uh, whatever issue Max was having with his tyre preparation, whatever, Checo got it done, which is exactly what he's there to do. And... You're right. I think without this safety car blunder, with the way we saw the race ending yeah, up panning out, he would have had an excellent shot at the victory. Well, okay. Well, here's I mean, here's where you know the strategy comes into it, Matt. If you'd allow me, can we can we undo here that heartbreak? Because as soon as the safety car came out, I went, oh no, oh man, no, he's definitely going to end up in fourth, which he did. Ends up then getting stuck behind signs, wasn't able, uh, you know, to pass. And, and look, I'm not running away from that. Fact is that Verstappen was able to hunt down and pass Leclerc, which was the faster of the the two Ferraris. So I'm not going to shy away from that. Also worth noting that Perez probably doesn't still yet have the same iteration of of car as Max Verstappen. So let's take all those those factors into account. It's a shame he couldn't then go and pass and get past Carlos Sainz. But if we undo the safety car hurt for me, Matt, let's imagine it didn't happen. It started off with what Charles Leclerc called a bluff from Ferrari. Yeah, well, this is interesting and I would say possibly disputable. But for me, it was Ferrari strategy all the way. Because if you look at the timing 
of it. The clerk, Ferrari clearly better on the medium tires, not losing any real time to Perez whatsoever. Perez definitely starting to lose lap time says, oh, you know, we're 1.7 seconds, 1.6 back. Let's, let's pit to pass. In other words, undercut Perez. And he says it on the radio. The engineers say it to him. And lap 15, which was the earliest lap that Pirelli had called in its pit stop window, Perez responds to the threat by pitting, which, given how powerful the undercut was at Bahrain, is yep. not a terrible decision. Yeah. No. Except for one of Chris's favorite drivers that I feel very badly, whose name I'm about to mention, Nicholas Latifi's car just decided to drive into a wall on its own we'll without get, any driver input. We will get to Latifi, Chris. Don't you don't you worry. Oh, I like him too much. But and, like, yeah. yeah. And but, then we had the safety car that ruined everything for you. Okay, but we've forgiven the safety car. In this scenario, we've got rid of it completely, Chris. The, the undercut probably would have been powerful. And, yeah. and also, the tactics of this race worked out. Like, we were all after Bahrain assuming, oh, this is going to be a two-stop. This is going to be a three-stop. But... but you know, not knowing that, in hindsight, you look back and you go, well, if he'd have got out of the pits first, he's on, he's on isn't he? It's game on. Yeah, I think the undercut was a genuine threat because we mm. saw him in Bahrain, there was a massive benefit to coming in a lap earlier, despite, you know, the, the, the warm-up issues that a lot of the teams are having because of, you know, the tyres come out of the blankets a lot cooler than they used to. Uh, the Jeddah track is a lot smoother, a lot less abrasive than it was in Bahrain, but the undercut was still viable. I think we saw in the F2 race as well that the undercut was was still quite good. So it was a good bluff by Ferrari, a genuinely brilliant you know call to 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 get him in, and it was just the worst luck possible that that safety car came out the following lap. Jono, when you look at it, and with Verstappen sitting in third, how long would a Ferrari stayed out there? Like they force Perez in, okay. Perez gets a little bit of an advantage. Maybe his tires go one, two laps older. Then Leclerc comes in. Remember, this is a metaphorical universe where Nicholas Latifi doesn't crash into a wall, uh, which is which doesn't exist, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that, and, that's a scenario that I'm finding less and less easy to imagine <laughs> and conjure into existence. To be honest, Jono. Yes. Well, so so the next point is, and remember, we have to get to the Latifi thing later, please, because sure, I got a lot course. to yeah, say yeah, as well. Yeah, me too. Um, with Verstappen sitting in third, Red Bull can sort of play the race back in their favor. Instead of Leclerc sitting out for 10 laps and forcing Perez to sit on old rubber, Red Bull just need to bring in Verstappen the next lap, and that will force Leclerc to pit. So yeah. who knows how the race is going to pan out? Matt? The strategic factor I forgot, and the reason that I'm slightly more tempted to believe that it was a real bluff from Ferrari and not just to do the opposite call is because George Russell was 19.6 seconds behind Perez, which meant that, given the pit stop delta, Perez came out behind him. That was massive advantage for Leclerc, and it's very likely he would have pitted at the end of that lap to take advantage of it. Okay, so there's people saying it wasn't a bluff, it was just do the opposite. I, I think it's both. So it was, it was basically, it was both. They were always going to do the opposite, definitely. Because that you know, doing the same would have meant just coming out in the same order. Their preference was to have Perez pit first because a you you don't want Perez going long because he can probably go long better than you can. And the George Russell thing, let's put him into traffic 
basically, it's not a coincidence that it comes at the time before they've cleared the the pit window to cars behind. They're all watching those pit windows all the time. And they they might fancy being able to do their pit stop better and they might fancy being able to 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 come out ahead and get track position if Perez goes out on the cold tyre. So the over, the undercut might be better overall, but there's a window of like a lap where the car that overcuts temporarily has has warmer tyres or colder tyres, whichever way it works out. So that's something that they're going for. But yes, obviously, then had Perez not fallen for the quote-unquote bluff, they would have done the opposite and, and still hoped to come out ahead. Let's be really clear. It was Red Bull that fell for it, not Perez. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I have a hypothetical question for you. If Leclerc had managed to pass Perez on track, let's let's say the bluff didn't work and they were running line of stern, but Leclerc passes him. And so now you've got Leclerc, Perez, Verstappen. What do you think Red Bull would have done? I don't know. What do you think they'd have done? Probably Chris. brought him in straight away. Just do something different. You, you, you get done by your rival, you're coming in. Yeah, but look, am I, I'm not being overly optimistic here, Jono. Like, the last two races, as a Perez fan and the Perez fans listening, there is definitely more reason to be hopeful this season than than the last. Well, apparently this car is easier to drive. Do you remember that previous Red Bull before the rule changes? You had Pierre Gasly struggle. You had Alex Albon sort of struggle. Gaz, uh, Perez the same. Now has Sergio Perez finally found a car he can get to grips to quicker can he drive this better do we rehire alex albon and pierre gasly back because the car is easier to drive who the hell knows i do think it was a a wonderful opportunity just to i don't know reiterate for any newer fans perhaps you know the reason that perez ended up in fourth was because when the vsc the safety car was deployed you know everyone else on track is going a lot slower and so when you make a pit stop it costs you less time because everyone else is going slower compared to Perez who made his stop under green conditions. Okay, and I don't think anyone's suggesting that the order at Red Bull is about to change overnight, but it might just give Red Bull a little something something to think about. Let's uh, let's move up the grid.
So we, let's uh, let's move to the Ferrari boys because we've you know we looked at the the driver battle at Red Bull. It is still a battle at this point. The Ferrari battle, though, Matt, I did. I have to say, I did get sucked in by you in the off season. You know, I was saying that I felt that Signs wouldn't stand up to the challenge of Leclerc. I have to admit, you guys really convinced me over the off-season, although pre-season, just before the season started, did look at a little bit of maths and, you know, look at the performances over the 2021 season and go, oh, well, maybe now, maybe actually Leclerc did have a little bit of an edge. But right now, there definitely looks to be an almost Hamilton-Bottas difference when you look at how far Sainz has fallen back in both races. Seven seconds. I wouldn't call so far as saying Hamilton Botas, but I think it's fair to say at this point, Leclerc is more on top of the car and has the car more to his liking than Sainz does. I, I got to say, I'm a little, I don't want to say disappointed, but I guess underwhelmed by Carlos Sainz's start to the season. It's weird in Jeddah, he seemed to have this porpoising issue more than Leclerc, which is very bizarre because you would think they would be running quite similar setups on that car because it definitely wasn't an issue for Leclerc that that we could see anyway but yeah he, he knows he's got a car that can fight for the the world championship now he needs to pull his finger out if he's gonna battle Leclerc and the Red Bulls do you remember last year we established that Leclerc scored less points than science due to so many sort of weird issues yeah. so you know, to me, Leclerc was always the better driver. I just think he had a bad year last year. Yeah, you, for example, Monaco was his error, but we're not going to go into that. That's last year's business. Do you remember in qualifying, though, in the group chat, where they were going out for Q3 for their final runs. Carlos Sainz is on provisional pole, and I literally said word for word, Carlos Sainz should park his car horizontal on the racetrack <laughs> to keep pole and he didn't do it and he ended up down the order on the grid ah the leclerc schumacher rosberg maneuver why not a few comments in the chat room saying why do we hate carlos Sainz? he's second in the world drivers championship and like yeah that's fine but because he finished second to leclerc in both races and because verstappen didn't finish the first race wait a minute why do we hate signs this podcast is a signs <laughs> loving except for specifically me and maybe jono trumpets yeah well i'm just gonna go back to what he said after the race uh, he has identified where the car is letting him down he's identified what he needs to change in his driving i think it's fair again to say is Leclerc on top of this car right now better than Sainz? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean we should just write him off for the championship after the second race? Yeah. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, no, probably not yet. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. No, I, I want to see Sainz come out swinging in Australia. I want to see him knock a, a, a knockout punch to Leclerc uh, in the next I'll give you a little hope. He, he had provisional pole in he Q3 did. where he was nowhere near that in Bahrain. I'm going to take away that hope and remind you that Ferrari is going to Ferrari because there will have been meetings, yeah? And they will have been saying through testing, they'll have said, you know, I won't do an Italian accent. That was my temptation, but that would be culturally insensitive. I'm not going to do it. But they would have said, is this a bluff? Is this like the last couple of years? Are you really following through on this promise? And they'll have, they'll have assured them, no, no, it's real, it's real. So when it is real and Leclerc wins, and then Leclerc is fighting Verstappen, the current world champion. Again, the optics of that from the Ferrari team to the board are, we, ha we have him. Ferrari want their Messiah. Ferrari want their Schumacher, their Alonso, their Vettel. They have him. It's Charles Leclerc. It's too late for signs. They are, it's not going to be the same car. Upgrades are going to go to Leclerc. 
it, the politics in Ferrari, Matt, mean it's it's already over for Sainz. You may very well be right. It remains to be seen if we're dealing with the new Ferrari or just the old <laughs> Ferrari in a new Ferrari mask. But I'll tell you, I think um, during your, uh, I won't call it a rant, but during your excellent explication of the politics at Ferrari. Wait a minute. Does that mean rant? Is that just a fancy word for rant? I hate it when you that, do that. No, 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 not a fancy word for rant. It's just like a, a, like a fancy word for talking. Um, <laughs> okay. it, it has come to me that the real problem for Carlos Sainz is that he just signed a long-term deal with Ferrari. And we all know what happens to drivers when they get comfortable. Yeah, Barrichello, Massa, Raikkonen, Sainz. Doesn't, uh, doesn't Leclerc have like a 10-year contract or whatever it is? Yeah, 45-year no, contract he's got at Ferrari. 45 years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's already, he's already uh, ordained. But look... Like Matt says, yeah, no, it is early on in the season. I'm just saying that's the early running. And, and I think these things, these momentum behind a driver builds up quickly. And I think Perez had a golden opportunity to put their momentum behind him a little bit today. And it didn't work out, which, uh, which I think Red Bull might have been secretly relieved about. Because when he was on pole with Verstappen fourth, we were, we were all sitting here thinking, how are they going to swap that around? And then yep. Latifi was able to, to take away. Help. Yeah, to help that. Okay, tell you what, let's take a brief, a very brief diversion to Latifi, and then we'll go to the Alpine battle, which was absolutely excellent. Chris, I know you're a Latifi fan. Best seems, driver on the grid. He seems very nice. Yeah, and he's generally kept his nose clean, kept himself out of trouble. You know how I feel about billionaire drivers, and I would definitely consider Latifi a pay driver. It's three big shunts in three races. It's looking bad. He's struggling, it feels like. He didn't look comfortable in that car at all. He didn't know why the car was letting go. And it is galling to see racing at the front of the grid on on two occasions be affected in such a way. Is there an issue? Be honest. Is there an issue with Latifi in F1, binning his car, not being on pace? Do, Do you see that as... Do you not see that as an issue in what is becoming an elite franchise sport? Well, I've accepted it as the fact that it will always be part of the sport. No, it has been. Why? It, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Be. Substantiate that. Why? Why does it always have to be part of the sport? I'm not. I'm not saying it has to be. You just, it just said it's always be going to be. Why? It is always going to be because Formula One teams need money, and <laughs> rich people have money. They want to drive cars. I mean, why did we get Guan Yu Zhou on the grid over Oscar Piastri? I know that, you know, Joe isn't your average pay driver, but one had 30 million with them. The other one didn't. Uh, Vitsa Van Bruggen in our live chat has just said it's going to get expensive for Williams. How much money do you get and be happy with before you start to accept that it's costing you world championship points before it's costing you car repairs? Haas looked a terrible outfit last season. Magnussen is making that car look a lot better so far than Schumacher is. If that trend continues, you'd have to point and go, well, having Mazepin and and uh, and Schumacher rookies was a very expensive decision. We saw at Williams, they couldn't do anything with Sorokin and Stroll. Then suddenly we had Mr. Saturday and the car was miraculously better. Jono, I, I, I can't, it's, it's, God, it's a false economy a lot of the time to have these drivers it's now a franchise sport with only 20 spots. Surely it's time we make this a professional sport with professional drivers. 
So you don't want Latifi in? I, he seems yet? he seems very nice. It's nothing against him personally, but just why? I just don't oh. understand why we still have him. To be honest, boy, he he loves a crash, doesn't he? He absolutely loves it. Made love to the barriers so many times over the last few years, um, even in his first race. But going back to your point, we were discussing this during the race in um, the Guan Yu Zhou uh, example or Zhou Guan Yu. Would you put him in the car or Piastri? Is the money he brings in worth? the points they would lose potentially with a better driver. That's a poor example because, because Zhou Guan Yu is actually not a terrible driver. He's actually pretty decent. Uh, but yeah, you have to weigh that up. With the prize money and the way it's being more equal these days, do you cost-benefit analysis? They got 7,000 engineers every team. Just get a spreadsheet out and do it. I could do it myself and you give me one hour. I mean, thank goodness, Chris, that uh, Mick Schumacher is okay. But he was going into the wall and spinning a lot last season. But we were like, we said, oh, well, Mazepin's doing it as well. That car must be terrible. But if that trend continues going on into this season as well, you know, it's, it's a bad day for the, it's a bad day for the, the pay drivers, if you like, because also, you know, Stroll ends up having a collision, although we'll get to that because Albon ended up getting the penalty. Yeah, for sure. But I think there are worse drivers they could have. Number one, let's not forget Latifi, you know, was fighting somebody for the F2 championship who didn't make it to Formula One and is now a Mercedes factory driver in another world championship. You know, he's got an ability there. I think it will take him a little bit longer to get up to speed with it than, say, Alex Albon will. But, you know, the, the the cost cap is a nice thing on paper. But Formula One teams will still find another way to spend that money, whether that's, you know, an additional marketing boost or buying nicer equipment or something. It doesn't necessarily have to go onto the car. And in the Guan Yu Zhou example as well, what just became the the biggest manufacturer, the car manufacturer in China, Alfa Romeo, they have a Formula One team to sell cars. Okay, so obviously, Chris, we've had this argument a lot of times, and I've obviously got a chip on my shoulder about this kind of thing. So maybe it's a, Mm. a discussion and a debate that will go on throughout the year. Personally, as a Latifi fan, which you are, are you not concerned by by his form? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, well, I, I can't lie That's about it. it. This yeah. is just you know he's not he's not scoring points on a regular basis. I mean the car doesn't seem to be a regular point scorer at the minute, but that's by the by. Um, but I would feel for him if he lost his drive. But I would hope he would find something good to do, like a hypercar or LMP2 at Le Mans or something like that. Okay, and, and just to be clear, I'm not suggesting I'm better than Latifi. He's, <laughs> he, on the scale of things, he's an incredibly good racing driver. We are talking about the very elite of single-seater motorsport, Matt. Yeah, I've been thinking a little bit about a definition of a pay driver, and I'm going to suggest that it's a driver who brings more in money than they cost you in points. <laughs> That might be a good one. That might, of course, my one was always, if you're paid for who you are, if you get the money because of who you are, you're a paid driver. If you get support because of what you can do, you're not a paid driver. Anyway, uh, f- send us feedback. Feedback at mistapex.net. Me and Matt will both get those emails. Let us know what you think. And if you want to accuse me of being bitter because Latifi's two crashes just happened to cost Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez, the drivers I support uh, uh, dearly, you might have a fair point there. Uh, That is not to condone any of the hate that went towards Nicholas Latifi. It was absolutely awful. The toxicity 
within the F1 community is reaching like very, very bad levels. And when we get to the awards, I will just briefly touch on that because we are dropping one of those awards, which I feel was us playing a part towards that social media toxicity as well. But let's move on. Alpine. Who's got opinions about Alpine? Has, any, has anyone support any of the Alpine drivers? Just looking around the panel. Uh, Chris, what do you make of that battle? What a stupid thing to do, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, what? like, look. No, it was amazing. <laughs> it was great to watch, don't get me wrong, but for... For what could have been their race, what a stupid, stupid thing to do, letting them race early on like that while they cost themselves lap time and burnt through the tyres and let Magnussen and Bottas just close up to them, risking wrecking the car for like five or six, seven laps when they should have been working together to pull the gap to the rest of the field and maximise their points, regardless of Alonso's DNF or where Rocon ended up finishing. It was a stupid thing to do. <laughs> Chris trying to forestall every argument I'm about to make. That's hilarious. No, it, was it stupid? No, it was entertaining. It was amazing racing. Did they crash? No. <laughs> Were any rules violated? Again, well, well, only well, well, minorly, well. and that place was given back. So there you go. At the end of the day, did Alonso have a faster car? Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, did Ocon finish six, which is the best any Alpine was going to finish on the day? Well, yeah, he did too. So show me the harm. That's what I say. Well, some rules were violated. They were cutting the track at some points. No, no, no. I'm not going to get into that, <laughs> that type of technical analysis. Um, I loved it. Uh, a team battle is, is great. They finished sixth. They got what they, they reaped and, and deserved at the end of the day. They got it the hard way with Ocon, but um, that's a hindsight sort of thing to look at. Would they have finished sixth? Had the race gone uh, unscathed without safety cars and everything? Well, you know, that's that's another thing. That, that's that's the decision you have to weigh up. Did they gain more fans and more <laughs> merchandise, more money from people watching that battle? Yeah. Probably, yeah. If you remember that F1 to us is sport, but as a business, it's marketing. They had the first 12 laps of this race sewn up for their sponsors. Yeah, man, and this is the thing, Chris. If you're, if you're, because they spoke to um, Otmar Schaffnauer, and they were saying, "Are you going to call it off?" And he was like, "No, no, they're going, they're going racing." And the thing is, if you want to see that racing philosophy, especially in the midfield, what would the point be in the drivers fighting for seventh and eighth, having team orders? You just you may as well let them have a scrap, mightn't you? You can do it at the end of the race when you've got a lot less to lose. They were trying to build a foundation of a race in the opening stint, basically, which is trying to give yourself an advantage, i.e. building a gap to the cars behind so that you can utilize that later in the race. And then once things are sorted out, you let them have a scrap. You let the faster car go and do its job first. And I'll see you when the F1 manager game comes out in the summer. If my drivers start doing that, I am shutting it down. Chris, don't you work in motorsport PR? Yes. Like, like legitimately paid in PR in motorsport. I'm yes. going to give you a choice, PR manager. You can have 7th and 8th and that exposure that you had today and your two drivers battling, showing all their skill, or ninth and 10th. You pick. Well, show me some returns on the exposure, for one. If I was the team manager, I'd have, I know exactly what I would have done. 
but you know it's a very different perspective of course i want a nice clip of them you know racing that i could post on instagram paddy in our live chat has just gone i instantly went out and bought a checks notes packet of alpine well no well look <laughs> alpine is a sports car brand and of course bwt is is it bottled water water yeah okay i've never seen a i've never seen the opportunity to buy a bwt bottle of water Jono. Isn't Alpha Terry as well a, a packet of um, chips as well or something like that? Oh, no, no, excuse me. It's a fashion brand. Oh, is uh, it? Sorry. I didn't even yeah, know. Yeah, is that what Alpha no, Terry no. is? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's a yeah, fashion brand. I didn't know that. Well, the official okay. Formula One supplier, actually. No. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Well, can I say, imagine if you're Otmar Zafnau and you get into that job and the first thing you do in your second race or whatever is to tell Fernando Alonso to stick behind his younger teammate. I mean, you, you can't. You can't really do that. And we've got the first glimpse of angry Alonso back today after he retired. He was obviously livid with that. I miss angry Alonso. It's a really good point. I'd not thought of it from the pit wall point of view. You're not going to tell Alonso to not go and attack Ocon, especially as the gap had closed. So Alonso was briefly the faster car. And then once he has overtaken because of the nature of the track, and because Ocon could then fight back, you can't then say, no, I know we let him overtake you, but you're not allowed to overtake him. So in a way, they kind of had their hands tied, Chris. No, you tell them to hold station and then they can fight it out at the end of the race. No, I don't know. No, I don't know, Matt. Not with those two. You, you let them have their fun for a bit and then you say, OK, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play this out to the pit stops, which is what they did. And it was, they might have, possibly needed to do it sooner because of the wear on the tires and i i don't know i liked seeing the battle i saw alonzo interviewed after the race he didn't complain about how ocon drive ocon didn't complain about how alonzo drove so i think clearly whatever rules they have between the two of them they've worked out fairly well and in the meantime it was 12 laps of sheer fun for us watching the race well as a pr person i certainly wouldn't have let fernando alonso go and complain to the media about ocon nearly putting him in the pit wall but also <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're going to stop alonso from doing anything as a pr i will i, I will i will do it johnny can i i have to re-watch that again i swear i've watched it two three times but did ocon actually move late i thought he was just just didn't leave enough space on the inside. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think Alonso went for a gap that wasn't there and he backed out. thought that was good racing. I mean, I think if you look at it, you could see that there's maybe a half a meter or so that Ocon moves towards the wall as Alonso closes him down. But it was always going to be a skin of your teeth move at the very best. So you could argue he moved a little bit late. A little like bit late. Based on the mirrors. But you, yeah. you are allowed to, to move all the way across the racetrack on a straight. And then you're allowed to yes, move all the way back, except you must leave a, a car's width when you move back. But you can move all the way to the to the left, as Ocon did, so long as there isn't physically a race car in the space that you move into. And the main thing there was Alonso wasn't in the space that Ocon moved into because he was able to move into it. I'm just saying, the last time two pink cars had very, very close battles on track where Esteban Ocon and Otmar Zafnauer were involved, it didn't end well on multiple occasions. I'm laughing like I'm pretending I can remember exactly what you're talking about. Perez, <laughs> mate, come on. Yeah, well, okay. Why was Otmar Zafnauer? Oh, yeah, of course. Do you know what? It's so blinking confusing that they're pink now as well. And that, that is, yeah. 
well, they're going to be blue and pink for the rest of the season because okay. this livery was only for the first two races. Just to add to the confusion. Good. That'll be less confusing. Okay, it's time to move on to the midfield. So, Mercedes. Interesting day for Mercedes. Are they a sleeping giant or a paper tiger? Are they dining out on their reputation as being a front-running team? Therefore, everyone is assuming that they are going to march on all fronts and take back their former glory in Formula One. Or are they a sleeping giant ready to awaken and erupt into a volcano a volcano of uh, failed and stalled analogies that I seem to be in right now? Chris? I think in a few races, we will start to see some progress. I think Australia will be the first like big update uh, because we've had you know two races on back-to-back weekends, not really a lot of time to get things done. So uh, I think when, when we start to go to Australia and then Imola, you get the European season underway, we'll start to see the progress really, really being made. But what was really worrying was you know, a very late call on a setup experiment on Lewis Hamilton's car before qualifying oh. that left him eliminated in Q1. I know. That was scary. I didn't like that. I didn't enjoy that. And Toto Wolf's reaction to that, Matt, was we need to wake up. They said that we experimented with the rear axle. We need to wake up. So he clearly put that on his engineers as a as a, as a late throw of the dice. And it's almost like they went for a, a race setup and go, okay, we'll sacrifice a little bit of qualifying. And, and it just went wrong. I mean, the distance between Russell and Hamilton was like 0.6, 0.7. It's not, unima- it's not an unimaginable gap between two good drivers, one who set a good lap and one who had an off day. It's getting to the extreme of that boundary, but you throw in a, a poor setup choice. I guess it becomes a bit more understandable, but geez, keep one on on pace yeah on on merit no the the choice made by the mercedes engineers was incredibly incorrect to the point that i am actually i i have now had the thought that i wonder if they are suffering with some kind of correlation issue between the car and the sim because that's not the sort of thing you would do without throwing a test driver into a sim overnight and seeing what might work better and what might not And we also have the comment from Russell himself saying that the setup window for this car is extraordinarily narrow. And it's just that perhaps Hamilton's setup was slightly outside of it when they made that change. And so we have our Diva car. We don't have our magnificent power unit advantage anymore. And Mercedes is really having to compete on the engineering now. There's definitely a correlation issue because the porpoising does not show up in a wind tunnel or in a simulator, you know, know, whatever. Most teams have had the problem with that, but Mercedes seem to be struggling with it more than anyone. They are losing so much time on the straight, it's ridiculous. And it it cannot just be down to the power unit. There has got to be some aero drag issue. The only problem is they know the drag's not coming from the side pods because they're size zero. So... Where else is this issue coming from? I mean, I mean, like, of course, I don't have the the data that the engineers have, but if all Mercedes powered cars are towards the back, and if all Ferrari powered cars are towards the front, unless it's some massive coincidence that all those designers for those particular teams have got the car right, which I don't think so, 
then 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 that's your problem. I think it's just as simple as that is down to the power unit. So Matt, I know like you and I have been discussing this and probably on different sides of the fence. A lot of my career has been fault finding uh, on complex systems and for for the for the common theme, so there's a if you have a common theme which is the Mercedes engine, for that to then be caused by four different and completely independent aerodynamics problems is a massive coincidence. Like if if that was true and it isn't the Mercedes power unit, it is the four teams independently having an aero draggy issue, that would be the kind of fault that you would be talking about in the canteen for for weeks later. Uh Jono, Chris, quickly then Matt. Well, okay, actually one thing to add to that is I I don't know if it was maybe it was Anthony Davidson or, or Paul DeResta, I think, actually brought this up, which was what if the new fuel rules are affecting Mercedes? The, sure. the, the, that whole thing. Because the issue is, if with an engine freeze, this is horrible for Mercedes for the next five years. It might be down to the fuel. Yeah, but that would, that would still be a common factor to do with the power yeah. unit. But yes, Chris. So it's not as simple as all Mercedes powered cars suck because of the Mercedes power. Yeah, you know, let's not forget that McLaren is missing 100 points of downforce. The Williams is probably the most basic car on the grid and is grossly overweight and Aston Martin have really dropped the ball as well. Whereas you know, you've got teams like Alfa Romeo who are the only car under the weight limit actually and using ballast and Haas have been able to take an opportunity with these new regs as well. So there's a common theme and it might well be part of the problem, probably is part of the problem, but it's not the only thing. It's not you know, you put a Ferrari engine in those cars and they suddenly are fighting for points on a regular basis. Hey, did you just call me basic and overweight? Oh, no, Williams. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I'm feeling sensitive. Matt? Well, to answer the question about uh, Mercedes and the straight line speed, the answer is ride height. In order to solve the porpoising problem, Mercedes is having to ride the car higher and that increases drag by rather a lot. Essentially, the floor is not working as efficiently as it should be at the higher height and because the car is taller it creates a lot more drag relative to cars that are being run lower like the ferrari and red bull for example as far as the power unit goes i've I've actually because we did have this discussion and we went and looked at straight line speeds and the only car that was faster at bahrain this season than last season was the williams and the interesting thing to me about that is everybody was slower in the first sector because that's the slow speed sector. Red Bull was fastest. They, they had gained the most speed. Uh, Williams had, was like second or third in this chart, but they barely gained any speed in the third sector. And the one thing that we did see was the Mercedes cars struggling in the third sector at this track. And I begin to wonder if perhaps it's not less a power unit issue and more a specific ERS issue, either recovery or efficiency of that system. And so the good news, if you're a Mercedes fan, is they do have an ERS upgrade coming in September. So if it is the electrics that that they have fallen behind on, this is something that they will be able to develop. If it's the power unit or the fuel, you're stuck with it for the season. Matt, how long have you known me? Oh, um, like eight years, eight, nine years. In that time, have I at any point struck you as a patient man? No. Right, September? Don't, oh, I'm going to give you hope. You can wait six months. No, thanks. That gives me no hope whatsoever. Chris, give me better news. Uh, I can't. 
Oh. Uh, I mean, I, hopefully, you know, they start bringing updates to the car over the next few races. But ultimately, you know, okay, here's a bit of hope. This team was able to turn around a bit of a dodgy car last season as well with no major updates, just tweaking the little things and exploiting what they had. And that's what Mercedes do best, I think. So they can work a little bit of magic with this car. Here's your hope, Spanners. Ferrari 2005. Right? Nowhere. Ferrari 2006. <laughs> Don't do this to me, man. A title. 2023 Mercedes, maybe next year. Hamilton's final year. Then he then he does a, a retirement, walks off uh, from the sport. Who knows? Could he end with a championship? Let's see. So what I want to end with is Mercedes' plan for itself, which is they believe that by the time they get to the European leg, which is going to be uh, Emola, they will have made significant progress on this issue. And the issue is really the porpoising. They have to run the car high and it's not working the way they had planned for it to work. So if they have really understood the issue, if they can bring the developments to the car, and I think they might have a new floor for Australia as is, if they solve that problem, then well, look at where they are with all their trouble. They're still well clear of the best of the rest of the midfield. Just look at Russell's lap times today, and and they're they're kind of like almost in that Ferrari bubble. But if their problems really are mostly aerodynamic, then then we will see them coming back to this fight as the season progresses. You mean the non twenty twenty two Ferrari bubble? Of course, that's the bar. Yes. That's the bar that you're putting that in. All right, that's fine. The the battle up front is is plenty interesting. Uh, that'll keep us entertained until and if and when Mercedes catch up. Finally. Let's go to the midfield, which Matt has described as a massacre. This might have escaped some people's attention because it surprised me when Matt told me. But 13 cars finished this Grand Prix, Matt. Yeah, it was like in Australia before Australia, wasn't it? Because like in Australia, only like 13 cars normally finish the race because it's the first race of the season. Or maybe I'm just so old that only I remember that. In fairness, two of them didn't even start. Uh, uh, But... Chris, that, that is still a reliability issue because Sonoda. Well, yeah, that was Sonoda was practicing <laughs> in case he needed to deploy a safety car for Verstappen, but he did it too early, <laughs> and he messed up. It was his turn. Gasly did it last week. I mean, the Schumacher one is attrition because that was by a sort of a crash, and that is caused by the track. So, if you want to say this track caused attrition, you count Schumacher and Sonoda in that. You know, Schumacher didn't not turn up because of a, a, a dispute with pay, for example. But what happened to the other five, Matt? Um, well, uh, Alban, I think we know what happened to him. Oh, yeah, no. I, well, we don't know, do we? We've got to play a game, haven't we? Whose fault is it? Let's play a game of whose fault is it. This is actually a bit of an interesting one. Um, not to say that the reason why the other cars conked out wasn't mega interesting. I, I'm sure it was. Yeah, the engines blew up, yada, yada. Let's play this game instead. So Alex Albon is overtaking up the inside, I think, into turn one. Lance Stroll. They come together quite near the apex. They collide. That causes double yellow flags. Alex Albon ends up getting the penalty, Jono. Correct or no? He got the penalty. Do I agree with it? No. And and we were talking about this for so long, even pre-podcast. This is what happens, right? Let's preface something here. 2021 Brazil, Yuki Sonoda dive bombs Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll turns in on him. Oh, it's not my fault. And bang, Sonoda gets a penalty. Today, 
Alex Albon dive bombs Stroll. Stroll goes, oh, you know what? It's not my fault. I'll turn in and let's hit each other. Max Verstappen, 2021 Abu Dhabi, dive bombs Lewis Hamilton, has the driver skill, and he's not the only one, but he's one of the best out there, to be able to have awareness, to steer out of it, avoid contact, and continue with the race. Why do we keep penalizing the driver who's bombing? Yes, they have to take care of making the overtake. Why don't we penalize the driver who has no awareness skills and is able to recognize when a driver's up the inside of them? I think the way I've put it, Chris, in the past is if you, regardless of who the stewards blame, if I was Stroll's driver coach there, you'd say, if, you'd, if you didn't turn into a space where that car was, you'd still be going around the track right now. Yeah, exactly. If you're driving on a motorway and the guy in the lane next to you starts moving across and is going to hit your car because he's totally unaware of where you are, you're still going to do something to not hit that car because it may well not be your fault and you'll get the insurance on it, but you'd rather not go through all that, wouldn't you? And this is what I find so frustrating about the steward's decision. One, the drivers were told they have to leave room for cars alongside. And to me, it looked like Albin was plenty alongside. Yeah, he was, yeah. At, at the apex. But then they say, oh, well, Albin locked up and understeered. And really? my response to that is, well, yes, he locked up because he saw a stroll turn across him. Yeah. And he was the one still trying to avoid a collision there. We saw so many cars go through that turn without incident. And the fact that it cost Leclerc an overtaking opportunity two laps from the end just makes it worse. Okay, I think we've got a fundamental issue here, though, with racing rules. Because if you do something like that, where... You know, you penalise the driver who's up, coming up the inside. And I think, yeah, it was fairly late. It was from quite far back. But as they were starting to turn, Albon had appeared there and was there. And there was plenty of time for Stroll to not turn in and hit him. To the point that you can say Stroll just turned into the apex when there was a car on the apex that was making the apex that would have made the corner and left him room on the outside. I just don't get how you don't penalise the car that has turned into a space where a car has all, where a car already exists, Matt. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the ultimate Bradley Philpot Lane rule. You know, if uh, as we said, as you said about Ocon earlier, well, yeah, he moved, but uh, there was no Alonso there, so there wasn't a problem, was there? Well, just look at Lewis Hamilton when he goes wheel to wheel with someone, leaves them all the room in the world. You know, especially last season, if that was Albon diving up the inside of. Lewis Hamilton, all right, Brazil 2019 <laughs> excluded. He would have left him all the room in the world, even if it was a late, ridiculous dive. See, that, that, that's the other example, which it's unpopular to talk about, is when Lewis Hamilton went up the inside of Alex Albon in, in Brazil that year. And totally Lewis Hamilton's fault. But as a driver, did Alex Albon not see him? What, what was going on there? And that's where, to me as a driver, it's like, you know, this is this is the analogy I make. You're at a pedestrian crossing and everybody has to give way to you. When I stop at pedestrian crossings, there are people who just walk on the road, never even look at my car. And in my head, I think, and I'm not going to do this, but in my head, I think if I never touched the brake pedal, I would actually hit them right now because they didn't stop to check if I was going to stop. They're just going to walk out and say, oh, it's your fault if you hit me. But you die. You know, and the analogy is your race is over if you if you don't take care and do that due diligence. I, I get frustrated by this rule a lot because, in my opinion, now if I'm a driver and especially early on in the season, you win the mental battle. You go, oh, you're going to go up the inside, bang! I'm steering into you. Your penalty, 
And that's how you win. They're going to stop by the drivers from making overtakes. You're going to ruin Formula One. Well, certainly there's new stewards in town. There's a new sheriff in town, a new sheriff or two taking turns. So they are going to have to take a little bit of time finding their feet. But what I would hope they they wouldn't do is is restrict overtaking opportunities. So by allowing the inside car to do what Verstappen and Hamilton have done in the past, which is usher a car all the way out to the edge, they're, they're stifling overtaking on the outside. If they're now going to penalise the cars the, uh, like Albon who can get alongside but then get turned into your stifling overtaking down the inside as well. What we want to see is cars being allowed to have room inside and outside. We are running a little bit short of time so I think it's time to move to the podium. Thank you for listening to Missed Apex Podcast. This is our Saudi Arabian Grand Prix race review. And this is the part of the show where we give out awards. We give out a good award where we go, oh, that was brilliant, wasn't it? That was great. And it can be a car, a feeling, a driver, a steward, someone in the crowd, anything. That's our a good award. We also have a bad award where we let ourselves be a tiny bit judgy on Missed Apex Award, where you know we pretend that we know better than the drivers or the the coaches or the managers or the stewards or, or the marshals or the TV director. I might have given away my, my Miss Apex Award there. In the past, we've had a pony award. And it was my daughter saying, you know, Daddy, I want a pony and I want one now. And that was given out to kind of drivers who sounded petulant, excited, a bit kind of tantrumy on the radio. Last week, the pony award went to Max Verstappen and to be fair, a lot of the comments on Max Verstappen did come across very badly. They chose to show a lot of Max Verstappen comments and he came off poorly. They've done the same thing to Lewis Hamilton. They've broadcast the radio messages excessively when he's been the guy at the front and made him look terrible when other people's haven't been played as much. We either get all the information and get to judge what the drivers are like during the race or, or maybe we should get none of the information. The selective picking of those most dramatic moments makes for great TV, but it sort of adds a little bit to some of the hate and the toxicity between the fan bases. And for the Pony Award, we are adding to that. And we've been adding to that. And last week in particular, I think we went a tiny bit too far. And I'm, I'm happy to acknowledge that. And and I think I'm going to I'm gonna retire that award now. Jono? I was going to say, just a quick aside to that is, you know, do we stop journalism in general? You know, journalism, you pick what you want to show and, and, and that's how it's worked for years and years. So, you know, with team radio and, and what you're going to show with drivers, it's unfortunately, it's just the way it's going to work. Whatever you play, people are going to judge that person or that driver based on what they say, good or bad. And fair enough. I can't control that. I'm not the decision maker for the broadcaster, but from the, the F1 fan point of view, which is very much where podcasts sit, that's the one thing I can control and I'm going to do that. But we do have some awards. Firstly is the Thing of the Weekend Award. Where's that button? There it is. Okay, this is the Good Thing Award, Jono. This is the positive one. Who Who is your Thing of the Weekend? Or what is your Thing of the Weekend? Or when is your Thing of the Weekend? Or how is your Thing of the Weekend? It was Sky Sports F1 having a, a five-second 
Sergio Perez has pole position graphic, which they put up like literally one minute after he scored it, which either there's two things that I've had here. Either they've made that for every driver and I'd love to see the Nikita Mazepin one from last year, or they've literally, and I've been in TV studios, probably gone into like edit mode on Photoshop or something and just quickly wrote Sergio Perez pole position. Uh, That's my award uh, because I'm assuming that they've had that made for ages or for 220 races or whatever it's been. Yeah, and to be fair, like I'm a Sergio Perez fan, and someone said to me, "Oh, you'd have got great odds on Sergio Perez getting pole." And I, you know, even I had to say, "Yeah, that's a terrible bet. You should never have bet on Perez being pole for this race." But maybe going forward, it's not such a bad bet. I did get the uh, the feeling it was like Happy Gilmore, you know, when he can hit those really big drives, but he can't putt, and then suddenly he figures it out after a night at the crazy golf course and goes, "Uh oh." Perez learned to qualify. <laughs> uh, Chris, who's your thing of the weekend? Nicholas Latifi for his just brilliant driving and just being fantastically awesome and wonderful. What's now, the real I'm, one? My real, my real one is uh, the. Uh, it's got to be the Perez lap, isn't it? It's just really awesome. Yeah, it's not as good as the Max Verstappen one from last year when he nearly got a really good pole. Well, at least Paris did all the corners. So. Yeah, you do have to do all the corners for it to be a great lap. Matt to Rumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter. Matt Trumpets on Facebook. You have a wife. He has a wife, you know. I do. Do you want to know her name? Amazingly. Incontinentia Buckets. No, it's at A Weaver Writes. Follow her on Twitter. She writes books. You might want to buy them for you or a gift for your spouse. Matt, what was your thing of the weekend? Uh, my thing of the weekend is going to be the Alpine fight. Oh, yeah, because it was, it was so entertaining. It was so old school. And unlike certain other drivers, there were no crashes. So it was nothing but fun. I- I'm going to go with that um, because I didn't want to steal yours from you. No, well, he's already stolen it, hasn't it? Chris I know, is, which is, it. I was going to give him grief about that, but I figured I'd let you do that I'm, I'm going to give it to Kevin Magnussen again, because he was behind the Alpine battle and behind Bottas, and then just suddenly, for no reason, wasn't. And uh, I, th- I thought it was another strong performance, you know, wherever he ended up, however he was going to do in that race. It, it showed there was more potential in that car, and it showed that Haas have made the right decision in putting a completely tried and tested, experienced and and known element in that car. And I, I do love that there was an interview that said, oh, Kevin, you seem much more relaxed. You seem much more chilled out now on your return to Formula One. And I could see his brain going, do I tell the truth? Do I say I'm a dad now? I get no sleep. I'm broken. And this look you can see in my eyes is the dead soul of a once enthusiastic person with dreams. But he didn't. He said, oh, yeah, no, no. I've just had a nice break and I'm all chilled out. But it, it does def- definitely seem like a, um, a different driver and Haas seem like a different team with him in it. Well, what's the next award? Oh, no, it's the bad one where we have to be all like negative and stuff. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Well, we don't have to be negative. We get to be negative, Jono. Who's your Missed Apex Award? Oh, this is a bit tough. This is a bit tough. But can I blame Kevin Magnuson for not keeping his neck in shape in preparation for race car driving? Or is that too harsh? Is that too harsh well, for the Missed Apex ha- podcast? Hang on a minute. How many, how many days notice did he get that he was going to be a F1 driver this season? 11 days notice. Jono, he was changing, yeah. he, he was changing he a- nappies. 
He had a contract. Well, fair enough. Yes. He had a contract for another racing series. Your neck should be in shape for that as it should be for F1. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit harsh, but um, anyway, neck issue for Kevin Magnussen. He drove well, didn't he? All right. Okay. If you also hate Kevin Magnussen and want to follow Jono Simon, you can, what is your handle on Twitter? Yeah, I'm trying to change it every time, but uh, okay. it's at Johnny S8, J-O-N-N-Y-E-S-S-8. I've tried every single combination of my name and they're all taken. So I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can possibly Just do. Just invent a completely new name. It's not that hard. But luckily for you guys listening, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're listening on podcast, and by the way, tr- check the others out. If you're a podcast only listener, check out the video, see what we look like and stuff and what we do with the video. Uncle Steve does a great job with the video. If you're a video person, have it on your podcast in case you don't have time to watch the YouTube and you can have it on while you're mowing your lawn or, or driving a race car. Um, but you don't have to remember Jono's terrible Twitter handle. It will be in the show notes below along with uh, Chris Stevens, who is at Chris on Racing, along with me at Spanners Ready, and along with the link to support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We're only here because you guys support us. We genuinely would have to go and take uh, less well-paid and uh, more miserable jobs if it wasn't for the fact that Missed Apex can scratch its own back and look after itself and, and pay for our time. Chris, what was the Missed Apex thing for you? The Alpine battle. How's that the mistake? No, the mist? You... Um, I just said that to annoy Matt. No, uh, my real uh, missed epic thing, like, you know, on an actual serious note, is the track, because it's the only one that genuinely terrifies me as a TV viewer. And we are in the second year of it. There was no time to make proper safety changes, which are needed. And I think a lot of the drivers agree about this and you know this was supposed to be the last race on this track before going to a newly created venue mm. in Saudi Arabia and as far as i can tell it hasn't even started yet so it looks like this track is here to stay for at least another year and changes need to be made danger will always be a part of motorsport but we have we in formula, formula 1 has gotten rid of loads of those dangers it has taken all the low hanging fruit of dangers it has constantly innovated things like the halo hand devices the, the the survival cell structure so we obviously all agree and all want to move towards less danger why have a track that is so unnecessarily and obviously dangerous what is the motivation for having a track like that suddenly appearing on the f1 calendar what could it be matt trumpets what was your missed apex award Well, you know, I've thought about this a bit because I've had the time and I'm just going to have to go with the setup on Lewis Hamilton's car. I mean, he should have been fourth or fifth. He started 16th, finished 10th. And that was also due to a Mercedes not calling him in at the correct time before they closed the pit lane in the virtual safety car, which Magnuson and Haas shockingly did manage to take advantage of. So I don't know. I don't know, man. There's there's just some there's there's some work left to be done. Let's just say that. Okay, and mine is gonna go to not the TV direction as a whole, because the whole TV production looked great and it, the whole race looked brilliant, but I don't want to see constant replays while that fight is happening. They seem to think that the viewer is only interested in the bits where they're side by side in a corner. 
we're not. We want to see how the gap develops. We want to see the, the racing is also all throughout the lap and seeing if you can be close enough to attack in the corner. So if I could make a request, it would be have some replays at specific times. That's fine, but not an overtake attempt and then replays all the way around the track until you get back to that same spot. Going through the corners and seeing what gap you maintain, also racing. We want to see all of that. Oh, uh, and I would also say add some picture-in-picture replays too. You know, that, that's another thing. If you want to see the gap develop, just have a little, like they used to do in the, in the in the standings box, just have a thing pop up and be like, this is what happened three corners before in case you forgot and have a goldfish's memory and then watch the gap develop to the side. Well, that was our Saudi Arabian race review. And uh, well, I had a good time watching that race at various points. I thought, ah, oh, it's not going to kick off this. It's going to it's gonna whittle away and it's going to not be a very interesting race. But uh, those, those cars are pretty close, aren't they? And, and provided yet another good battle. And I can't see that changing. I cannot see either Ferrari or Red Bull disappearing. I can only see the gap to Mercedes closing in. Signs is reasonably competitive. Even though, you know, I was saying perhaps he's not as competitive as these guys led me to believe. But he's up there. Seven seconds wasn't a million miles away. Perez is more competitive as well. The two Mercedes guys look like they're pretty level pegging. They just need the car to get them up to the front. 2022 looks to be a good season. So where are we going to next? Australia? That'll be nice to go back to, won't it? Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.